Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hello, podcast fans. Uh, it's just me today. It's just James. And we're doing another episode about the border. I'm joined today by Emmett and David from the Borderlands Relief Collective. And we're going to talk a little bit about people doing mutual aid on the border, uh, the situation on the border, and for those of you who live a long way away from it, and uh, a sort of pretty shitty thing that Border Patrol did to some supplies which were left out on the border uh, earlier this month. Um, so, yeah, Emmett and David, if you'd like to sort of introduce yourselves and explain a little bit about the roles you play, that would be great. Hey there. Um, happy to be here. Uh, my name is Emmett. I am uh, splitting my time between being a geochemist uh, at Scripps Institution of Oceanography, uh, being a PhD student, and uh, trying to reconcile what it means to be uh, living in this borderlands and uh, being a part of a community that is uh, partially criminalized, uh, depending on who you were, where you come from, and also uh, what it means for you to seek safety and freedom in your life. So uh, I work in several organizing spaces, uh, trying to shut down uh, different detention centers, um, as well as supporting uh, folks just make ends meet in San Diego and also supporting um, people uh, keeping their lives and and staying alive um, in this extreme uh, border borderlands that we, we live on. Uh, hey, my name's David. Um, my job, I work as a, a surgeon. Uh, I've been living in San Diego for about 10 years and I've been doing um, humanitarian um, volunteer work uh, in the borderlands, which we call doing water drops for something like um, uh, six years. 
uh, got started with uh, Border Angels and also did volunteer work with Border Kindness. Um, highly recommend that organization. And um, more recently, have been doing water drops in a, in a mountainous area between San Diego and TJ uh, with friends. And we just recently uh, found a name for our, our group and uh, it's Borderlands uh, Relief Collective. Great. Yeah. And I think maybe, I, I think if people think of San Diego, they think of like the zoo and, and maybe uh, SeaWorld uh, and at the beach and all that kind of shit. So like, can you explain what it's like? I've spent a lot of time in in the area where you guys do water drops. Can you explain what it's like and why it's such a difficult area to pass through for people who are trying to move north? Well, yeah, San Diego, as you said, people uh, think of the beach, but actually I think uh, someone told me that San Diego County has some of the most diverse uh, kind of ecosystems of any county in the uh, in the so-called uh, USA. We have uh, high mountains where it snows when it gets cold out. Uh, we have low deserts where it routinely exceeds 100 degrees Fahrenheit in the summertime. I mean, 120 degrees Fahrenheit uh, in the summertime. Um, and as far as uh, the geography of migration, it really uh, goes back to, you know, it's a direct consequence of federal border policy. I think uh, many people will be familiar with the term uh, prevention through deterrence, which is sometimes elaborated as uh, prevention of migration through environmental deterrence. And the whole concept is going way back to uh, Clinton administration, the areas of the border near cities like San Diego were increasingly militarized with high border fence, intense patrol by armed officers, and increasingly recently electronic surveillance uh, with the idea of relying on the extremely harsh terrain of the deserts and mountains to form a kind of a natural deterrence. But they quickly found out within, within, you know, basically the first year or so of that federal policy that uh, numbers of people crossing the border did not decrease. However, deaths skyrocketed. Uh, and that's something we understood, um, you know, uh, people in Washington, D.C. understood many, many years ago, uh, but the policy persists. So the bottom line is people who are crossing the border from Mexico to the USA often uh, resort to crossing in the most remote and dangerous uh, areas of the border. So the area that we're going to be talking about this uh, mountainous region between San Diego and Tijuana, literally uh, folks are going up and over the tallest mountain in the area, literally up and over the mountain, an extremely arduous um, uh, walk. And when we do these water drops, we're well rested, we hike all day, and uh, we come home exhausted 
uh, and we look at our our, our Gaia apps uh, and uh, find that we've only hiked a very small portion of the actual total journey. And we're always humbled uh, by just the resilience and determination of people who do this crossing. Yeah, it's I, I, another thing I think people don't realize is that the, the amount of like physical uh, just difficulty that people have to endure coming here is immense. And of course, the reason that people are willing to take those risks is because it's not like they come from a place of safety, right? And it's not, it's not, uh, it's not like they, you know, the reason they're willing to take risks is because it's a risk. You know, being where they were is a risk. I think a lot of people will maybe have become more engaged with border policy during the Trump era. Certainly, like the like uh, legacy media narrative focused on the border very briefly. Like maybe it peaked around the midterms in 2018, I think, and then people have lost a lot of interest since then. So for those of us who live on the border, it's remarkable how little has changed, I think. Maybe it's not particularly remarkable because I don't think we really expected it to. But uh, like, can you explain what, if anything, has changed since 2021 and how things uh, have sort of remained the same in many ways? Yeah, I think it's a really good uh, question and it brings up a lot of the political nature um, or kind of skewed identity based uh, conversations that exist in migration. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of rhetoric that is quite hyperbolic around uh, the so-called morality of people who are uh, migrants in general, um, and then kind of categorizing certain people as worthy or not worthy of um, entrance in to the so-called nation um, and kind of furthermore what does it mean for people to believe any of those narratives and then support them at a, at a federal political level and as you're saying um, during uh, Trump era there was a lot of conversation in response to very very hateful rhetoric uh, from Trump and the administration um, targeted uh, at certain people but not from a deep place of really understanding or characterizing the conversation in general, or speaking by the fact that in San Diego um, or in California at large, more than half of the farm workers who kind of create this 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 city that we are, or this the state that we are, and uh, support the very backbone of the fact that we're all still having our hearts beat, uh, are migrants, and that our economy at large as well as just the fabric of our nation is is based on migrants uh, and, and immigration. So for us to pick and choose what that looks like is not only missing the majority of the point, but is using as a talking piece, is really as a talking piece for uh, certain identities to feel vindicated, uh, to spend money and support certain for-profit corporations. Um, uh, for example, uh, Core Civic, one of the largest prison corporations uh, prison corporations in the in the country uh, got 1.9 billion dollars um, the previous year uh, from the federal government and therefore like you think about the connection between these enterprises uh, and stories about immigration are, are quite linked um, so I don't have all the statistics in front of me about how the specific number of of crossings has changed or the population has changed but um, on the whole, nothing has really changed as far as the need uh, goes. So thinking about four years ago, uh, what were the specific crises that were occurring um, that were causing people to seek seek safety in the United States? Um, 
maybe some specific situation have changed and others have arisen. Um, and as more and more people are coming to the United States fleeing from climate related disasters, as well as ongoing stability, it, it, it's, it's not as if the US has engaged in any real project to, to support people to begin with or understand the underlying causes. So from that standpoint, nothing meaningfully has happened from either administration to really understand or create policies that would support uh, anyone seeking safety or from making decisions that are uh, quote unquote aligned with US best interests. Um, it's never been a part of the conversation. Um, it's more to basically uh, capitalize off of people in their suffering, um, whether that be to the, uh, you know, to be a storyline that US is is helping people or is is a savior of others or is trying to crack down on armed bandits or or uh, criminals who are crossing crossing this borderland i think it is worth like the, the Costa Rica example is really interesting because biden made a big thing of like talking about shutting down like quote unquote private prisons but it's still very much like funding the same things when they're not for people who are citizens of this country or yeah and for those of those who aren't fully versed in in kind of the the, the basic relationship between private uh, prisons and immigration um there are is a relationship that uh between uh customs and border protection um and uh different prison corporations uh to basically um put people who are apprehended who are not initially deported under title 42 uh, in in detention uh, while their uh, their cases are ongoing and investigated um, for asylum um, or refugee status, um, and so pr these prisons uh, make a profit and can basically uh, demand a certain money amount of money from the government per person who uh, is in within one of their their facilities, uh, and there's also a minimum that they will continually get money from the government, regardless of whether the beds are filled, but they have an incentive to keep beds filled. So there is an economic relationship between these corporations uh, and the government to basically put more people in detention. So that's a huge underpinning of this of this whole conversation is who is getting money and how does it kind of further the certain aims of corporations, but also um, agencies that basically get a, a larger amount of federal funding uh, through apprehension of people. Right. Yeah. Like Biden has funded DHS more than Trump did. And like DHS's budget does Department of Homeland Security, of which Customs and Border Protection is a part um, and Border Patrol is a part of Customs and Border Protection. It's a giant pyramid of, of yeah, people putting people in prison. Uh, it, and it's also worth like reinforcing, I think, for people that like these people have done nothing wrong at the point in which they are in, incarcerated. Right. Like they have obeyed all relevant laws and are. Yeah, in, in conditions which we've decided are not befitting prisoners in the United States, but are okay for these people. Not that anyone should be incarcerated, uh, but yeah, there's still a two-tier system. So can you explain a little bit about your efforts to do mutual aid and, and to like do a little bit of kindness on the border and make things a little bit better out there for people who are coming north? Yeah, what we do again, um, just um, is um, in collaboration with other organizations that have been around a long time, uh, a lot longer than we have. Uh, Border Angels, 
order kindness in California, uh, no more deaths in Arizona, many other organizations. Um, and it really, you know, boils down to we don't want people to die uh, on, you know, the trails uh, crossing through the borderlands. And that actually informs um, where we drop. Um, unfortunately, you know, all of our, our recent new routes that we supply, they're directly uh, because we know that people have died uh, in those locations or required uh, rescue. Uh, we work in very close relationship with other volunteer organizations that focus on search and rescue and search and recovery. Search and recovery, meaning recovering human remains of people who have died. So there's a number of outstanding organizations uh, that operate in uh, California, Arizona, Texas. These include Eagles of the Desert, uh, Armadillos, uh, many other organizations. Most of these are actually uh, made up of uh, volunteers who are first-generation immigrants, mostly from Mexico. Um, and so when people um, die or require rescue, we do find out for from our, our friends and, and comrades in these uh, SAR organizations, and we build um, water drop routes directly uh, around that knowledge. Um, so yeah, it really boils down to, yeah, we don't want uh, more people uh, to die uh, making making this, uh, this journey. And so as far as what kind of supplies we leave, it's what we think may make a difference. We leave bottles of water, um, energy drinks like Electrolyte, Gatorade, and so on. Uh, cans of food with pop tops, all kinds of cans of fruit, beans, um, you know, uh, chili, whatever, you know, whatever we think people uh, may need. Um, of course, we tailor it based on the time of year um, in the mountains in the winter, gets freezing cold, lots and lots of rain. So we've been leaving waterproof ponchos, warm clothing. And the summer, of course, it gets scorching hot in the desert. People die of hyperthermia. They, they literally cook to death. Uh, that's where electrolytes come in handy. Um, sun hats, bandanas, baseball hats, um, first aid kits. We, we leave um, kits full of medical supplies. Uh, and more recently, you know, um, just observing the kind of uh, used items that we find on the trail. Uh, um, kids stuff, diapers, um, pacifiers, uh, you know, uh, we leave, you know, tampons, um, you know, that kind of stuff, um, uh, containers of infant formula. So it's a, it's a, it's kind of an iterative process, um, just leaving what we think people need. And, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what we do. And just so folks are super clear, this is all like a, a an initiative among you and your comrades, right? Right? Then you're not supported by any like government entity. This, the government entity is kind of doing quite the opposite of what you're doing. Yeah, correct. We are all volunteers in the sense that yeah, nobody is uh, paid. We don't have any formal affiliations with any other NGOs, much less governmental organizations. Right. So maybe people are wondering, uh, they might have been familiar with the, the court case in Arizona, or they might not be like, uh, if, if what you're doing 
is considered to be like legal humanitarian aid or not. Are you comfortable talking about that? Yeah, so I think that's that's definitely a gray area that we find ourselves really occupying. Um, and I think that's a bit of this kind of propaganda machine is, is, is what does it mean to engage with somebody uh, who is uh, seeking safety and fleeing for their lives? There's a certain place where that's uh, touted, touted to be a wonderful thing uh, if you're uh, Catholic charities and are providing <laughs> beds. Um, and for example, I wanted to make that distinction between several kind of uh, charity organizations who do receive uh, federal money to to be engaged in this conversation versus, versus grassroots mutual aid uh, uh, networks and communities who are doing this because it feels like it's part of their community's mission, their family's mission, or it means it's part of them being true to themselves and true to what feels uh, just in the in this in this very confusing world. So, what we're doing is very explicitly leaving humanitarian aid supplies that are potentially life-saving in areas where we know people need them. We are not having any specific or hands-on or person-to-person -person engagement uh, with with anybody. Uh, so. There in, in Arizona, No Mas Muertes became part of a conversation about uh, providing uh, critical medical support. Um, and that was a court case that really tested the limits of what does it mean to be in this gray area. Um, and what was uh, really important from the nuances in that conversation were what constitutes aiding and abetting or so-called aiding and abetting um, of illegal immigration, which is basically again a very large gray area uh between are you are you enticing people to cross are you being paid as a smuggler to cross are you doing something which is encouraging people to cross um none of which was uh activity that was engaged with nomas muertes or us um but uh in their case specifically providing medical aid uh, crossed the boundary and they were raided. Their 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 camp and their um, impromptu field uh, tents, where they were providing life saving medical support, uh, was was raided. Um, and the the kind of the finer points of that were that the, the outset being that the First Amendment protects humans in their religious freedom to practice um, whatever it be that furthers their religious uh, beliefs and and a faith. And a very large point of, of, of their work was their affiliation and dedication to preserving human life, which, as we can imagine, for many folks uh, listening to this or in, in, in general, that is very core to their belief system. Um, and so there are very clear protections um, in the First Amendment uh, of, of preserving people's uh, right to practice their religion. So. That was a case that that kind of that established a lot of what we're working under is these basic protections to be humanitarian aid workers um, following basic belief systems. What we're doing specifically is leaving supplies. So leaving supplies, the 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 most egregious thing you can you can basically uh, say about that is that we're littering <laughs> or that we're <laughs> abandoning property. Uh, and so. Again, no mas muertes, and in this in this in this larger conversation, uh, it was established in the court that leaving humanitarian aid supplies that were with the intent of saving lives is not litter. So that was also a very big point, which is saying no, we are not just kind of going walking down the street and throwing out your bottle in the, uh, in the back of your truck. 
this is specifically with the intent of saving lives. And the third place is that we are abandoning something in this in this area that would be constituted abandoned property. Um, and as we'll speak about maybe more in the future, uh, our supplies are consumed quite rapidly. Um, and there is a, a statute in this in the state of if it is it abandoned property has to be it has to be left for more than 10 days to be considered abandoned property. So even if we are leaving things in, in these regions, it is not considered abandoned property. It's, it's been less than 10 days. So basically, I guess just to, to, to say that nothing we're doing is illegal from any standpoint. And also um, the, the case in Arizona kind of helped make a distinguishing, uh, make, make some distinctions between whether our activity is is also frowned upon in public land, <laughs> which yeah. it is not because it is constituting uh, humanitarian aid in a place that is desperately needed. Right. And I think if folks go out to like, I mean, most people aren't going out to like Valley of the Moon or what have you, but like if you want to look for abandoned stuff there, it's not hard to find. And uh, it's not you guys doing that, like shooting barrels or, or whatever that, you know, like, the, like someone was shooting a barrel last time I was out there. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 
24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Let's talk about how quickly those supplies are consumed. Because I think, again, that will be like news to some people, right? Like, you guys are out there every week and like how much stuff are you dropping and, and how quick does it go? Yeah. To tell you the truth, we're still, we're still uh, finding out ourselves because every time we think we know the answer, we're surprised by how fast it's being consumed. But the bottom line is it's being consumed as fast as we can leave the supplies. So uh, Emmett and I, and many other, of the the members of our organization, uh, Borderlands Relief Collective. We also are active in border kindness and in the past with border angels. And and so uh, we're used to a certain rhythm of doing a water drop, circling back usually a month later. And we're happy if maybe uh, half of the supplies have been consumed. That's a good day. Uh, When we started doing water drops in this mountainous region, uh, first of all, we were just blown away by the evidence of heavy uh, foot travel. Uh, I mean, these are, even though you'll never find a hiker, a recreational hiker on these trails, they look like like established trails. They're worn in trails. And when we started doing these water drops, there's, a, there's just a river of discarded water bottles, uh, clothing, uh, food uh, wrappers, um, and just things that we have never seen before that, that amount of, um, human, uh, activity, uh, literally on the top of a mountain where you never would think, why would someone cross over a top of a mountain to get from point A to point B? So, like I said, we're still learning what the, the proper interval is. Some of these, uh, locations that we drop, um, we come back a week later and they're pretty much a hundred percent consumed. Um, so yeah, we really, it's become apparent. We have been having a lot of discussions that we're very eager in uh, trying to expand our number of volunteers because the more we do this in this mountainous region, the more we learn uh, how pressing the need is. Um, so we're having a hard time just supplying essentially one path that goes up and over the mountain. And we know that this is just one of many uh, paths that are used by by people in this this region. So really, uh, uh, we're finding 100% consumption every week or two at most of our, our drop spots. Yeah. So if people did want to, we could just get that in here now, if people did want to help you and they're in the region, um, it's, would they be able to, is there a way they could reach out? Yeah, sure. We just, uh, like I said, we just came up with a uh, our name after a, a fun uh, communal decision-making process. And uh, we just, a couple of days ago, uh, did our first post on social media. So if anybody's on Instagram, just search for Borderlands Relief Collective and click on you know the email and uh, send us a DM, get in touch. If you're anywhere near the San Diego, we'd love to talk to you um, and definitely would like to expand uh, the number of volunteers. So you spoke a little bit about, like we spoke about this Arizona case, right, where people got raided. Um, I know you guys have also had some uh, less than stellar interactions with uh, CBP, Border Patrol specifically. Um, 
and they get really mad if I call it customs of border patrol because it's customs and border protection. Uh, so you guys had a thing, uh, was it last month now in March? Um, do you want to explain a little bit about what, what happened in the incident, first of all? Yeah, so uh, as part of our, so I think as we already talked about, we go out every weekend and that's, again, we're all busy lives. Dave is literally a surgeon and um, we're basically trying to find a time that we can get people together to go out there. So we pick the weekends and we have a you know changing number of people who are able to be out there with us. So as one of our uh, normal water drop uh, weekends, um, a route that starts basically at a road um, that that is along the ridge of Otai uh, Mountain, we start hiking down the south side towards towards the towards the border, um, and uh, I've established uh, multiple routes along that path. And this one particularly is so slow going. Um, you only go a couple of miles, and it takes you uh, most of your Saturday um, because of how steep it is, um, the how thick the 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 brush is, um, and also kind of as Dave was saying earlier. Uh, even in the middle of day, day daytime uh, with hiking boots, uh, it's really treacherous. And um, we've we spent a lot of time making sure that we're safe in the process of, of going there ourselves. Um, so as we we left our first drop and then a second and went down to our final drop and turned back, uh, sorry, going back up the mountain. And we came to our second drop site. And as we arrived, uh, we found... Um, something that was kind of really hard to process uh, at first for us, which was that every single item that we had uh, purposefully put inside of a crate um, and we had uh, counted and we had uh, a left as we do um, was scattered and littered across the ground. Um, we had left uh, more than 20 liters of water and every single bottle of water was opened and dumped out and thrown indiscriminately uh, around this site. We had left, uh, again, something like 20 cans of food, uh, beans, tuna, uh, condensed milk, fruit, and every single can had been opened and had been its contents thrown uh, around the area. We had left bags of socks and hats, and those were covered in beans and fruit and again thrown into bushes so they could not be used. We had hand warmers um, because it's very cold um, and hand warmers are essential uh, to kind of keep mobility. Um, and every single one was diligently opened as if someone had really enjoyed taking time opening it and thrusting into the dirt. And that was something that was like so painful and just confusing, very demoralizing, as you can imagine, after just hiking that far. But more so, it it's felt so deliberate and and hurtful. Um, and initially, we're of course wondering what had happened. Um, we've done this for several years, many years, and never had we seen something like this before. Um, and it became very apparent uh, that um, someone had deliberately destroyed our our, our crate. Even the crate itself, this milk carton, was smashed in half. The bottom of it was uh, torn out. And that is something that's very hard to achieve. Milk cartons are not very light, uh, thin plastic. This was someone had 
had actively put a lot of force into smashing a milk cart so that nothing was left behind. Um, we, on the way down, one thing that I didn't say a second ago was that we had seen an agent on the trail, which was unique for us because normally they're just in their cars uh, yeah. with binoculars looking from the road. Um, so we had seen someone near the trail, uh, but lost track of them uh, earlier, and we had kind of put it out of our minds. Uh, so after this had happened, we had kind of put two and two together and were uh, wondering if this agent had followed us down the trail to this site. And then while we had left, stayed behind and destroyed the goods. It seemed like the beans were still drying and the fruit was still drying in the sunlight. So it hadn't have been too uh, too far from the time that we had dropped initially. Um, and this is at a moment that there was five of us and trying to figure out uh, what it meant for us to deal with this. Uh, several, two of us, including myself, um, raced ahead to try to see if we could interact with uh, with whoever has up the trail, knowing that they couldn't have been too far away. Um, not with any specific plan other than just ask them what what did they do and why did they do that? Um, just in the sense of outrage, that the, the, the sense of just like moral corruption um, yeah. that someone would destroy this uh, in a time that that the CBP, as well as we know, that people are are losing their lives um, because of lack of access to these very goods that were destroyed. Yeah, so we raced raced back as fast as we could. It was about a 45-minute hike back up, um, and we were really breathless and almost at the kind of point of feeling sick to our stomachs because we were both outraged and also uh, hiked faster than we should have. Um, and just as we had gotten back to our cars, kind of giving up hope that we'd interact with them, we saw two agents in their cars kind of pull away uh, and we flagged them down and got in front of them and uh, kind of motioned for them to come back so we could speak to them. Um, and I'm not saying we're the most savvy people, but we basically ran up to them and said, did you destroy these the, our, our supplies? To which they acknowledged that they did. Um, and only afterwards were we able to uh, get our wits together to start recording them. And as you'll hear in the audio, um, they acknowledged the fact that they knew where our site was, and they acknowledged the fact that they regularly destroy goods. Um, and for us, the entire interaction was just so sickening. Um, first of it, after a while, there was five of them with their guns um, and their, their large guns out, uh, as well as their basic um, intention to use intimidation, their sheer numbers, as well as this kind of reverse authority they have as the sole of agents in charge of this public land. This is wilderness and BLM land in which they have no authority over us, yet use this, this sense of just power and ability to cause harm to minimize anybody else being able to, to advocate for themselves. So we tried to stop them from, from doing that and, and I kept asking them, did you destroy our water and why did you do that? And is that within your job description? Because there was something very clear to them, to us, that they didn't even know what their legality was. They kept trying to deflect it, the conversation saying, oh, uh, migrants are leaving trash all the time and referring to people as illegal aliens with this kind of larger rhetoric of saying that, like, they're, they're, they're trashing the mountainside, like, it's, it's their fault. Um, and as we repeatedly asked them, did you destroy our water? And they repeatedly said, well, have you seen, have you seen what they do? Um, and then kind of also saying, well, yeah, we, we try to clean things up. We try to pick them up, but, but, but that specific site was too far. So we just left it. We just destroyed it and left it, which 
as on the on the piggybacking on their conversation about the, the, this trash and that we're littering and they're accusing us of aiding and abetting illegal immigration, they basically have nothing left to say about what their actions meant and with that within their, their purview, their mandate of their jobs. Um, and it was an act you could tell they were uncomfortable with because they were that not within their job description. And we asked for their supervisor. They said they're going to get on the phone supervisor. The supervisor never materialized. And we can only assume that they had a conversation with somebody uh, in a superior saying back down <laughs> what you're doing is 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 not correct and don't engage further. Um, and since then, we've had a conversation with uh, with their superiors and with with CBP offices to the effect of saying that this was not within their job description and this, they do not condone this activity. So um, kind of looking into that further, they were. Um, very much acting as individuals, but individuals within a culture of abuse and within a culture of of sabotaging humans' access to life-saving supplies. And that was nothing new to them. That is that they had nothing they had never encountered somebody trying to oppose them for doing that. Like when, when they're funded and equipped and transported and armed by the state, then like it's that's not the same as individuals just because we've seen that in Arizona, right? Like people who are militias or what have you going out and sabotaging life saving supplies as well. But it's still a little different when, you know, we have to pay taxes for them to go destroy water caches. And and these are people who regularly, as we've seen on multiple occasions, use helicopters to try to flush people out of uh, under a tree, that they fly within 30 feet of the ground and use the force of the rotors to force people out and up a hillside to waiting cars. So their use of money and their use of force is definitely central to the tactics. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, use helicopters to fire tear gas into Mexico. And it did a few years ago. But yeah, it's certainly, um, and that intimidation is like, if I think people, again, who don't live here might not be familiar with it. Like, uh, I've been out in down by the border with Kumeyaay people doing religious ceremony and had Bortak guys dressed like, you know, like Navy SEALs 
hanging out with AR-15s and plate carriers while people like burn sage and pray. It's yeah, I mean the militarization. If you somehow like can't conceive to care of people dying in the desert, the, the militarization of the border still affects everyone here, and you know, it makes our lives less safe. Um, there's a crime thinks crime thinks slogan that I always like to like use in these things, which is the border doesn't protect you; it controls you, which I think is is kind of apt for this. So now that they've trashed your supplies, right, and you found out they weren't supposed to. Uh, I'm interested, like how going forward, does that mean that you can't use that route? You can't drop stuff there anymore because you're worried about it happening again, or because you're worried about them hanging out there to intercept people who are using your like supply cache? On the contrary, um, we've learned from the examples of other people who have been doing this work. Um, uh, Emmett already uh, mentioned um, No Mas Muertes, No More Deaths in Arizona, Dr. Scott Warren. We've learned so much from their example uh, where, you know, they were hauled into federal court and uh, won. Uh, and so uh, we've learned from from their examples of how to how to do this, uh, as well as within uh, here in California, the history of uh, border angels. So. Back a few years ago, um, Border Patrol was slashing gallons of water in the deserts of um, eastern San Diego County, as well as Imperial County. On one particular day, uh, the Border Angels volunteers found about 50 gallons of water slashed in the most violent way. And they knew it was Border Patrol. And so the way uh, Border Angels uh, responded was number one uh, to change their tactics, to start uh, dropping supplies uh, deeper in the backcountry uh, where the Border Patrol agents, uh, you know, it's rare to find um, a BP agent that's motivated enough to really hike hike for too, too far away from their air-conditioned vehicles in the summertime. Uh, so number one, they were going um, farther away from the roads and highways uh, to the actual routes that people are, are walking. Number two, uh, they punched back uh, hard uh, in, in, in public using social media. Back then it was Facebook. You know, this is going to be, you know, right when Instagram was getting popular, but just, you know, getting the word out and Border Angels is an organization that's been around for decades. They have a big following. The word spread and just like many bullies, um, you know, they kind of back down if you get in their face um, uh, sometimes. <laughs> so, yeah. so that was our experience um, with this practice of Border Patrol slashing gallons in the desert with Border Angels. So when this, um, this crime occurred uh, on March 18th in the mountains, we knew we could not back down. Um, so we went back a few days later. That's when, as Emmett mentioned, we witnessed a Border Patrol helicopter for about an hour uh, flying about, you know, it seemed like, 50, you know, 10, 15 feet off the ground, uh, really, really low using the, the rotor wash to flush, uh, flush human beings out of the brush as if they were hunting animals. Um, and then we were back, uh, you know, the, the next seven days later, after they destroyed the supplies, we went back with a good group. Number one, to clean up this uh, this shameful mess these these two border patrol goons left. Uh, we cleaned up all of all of that stuff, and we left probably what 
three times the amount of original supplies. And on our milk rates, uh, we actually left uh, laminated signs that addressed one by one all of the accusations that these uh, Border Patrol uh, agents um, tried to make against us. So the signs say, do not destroy, do not remove. This is not garbage. We are not littering. And this is not abandoned property. This is These are humanitarian aid supplies um, protected by federal case law, the 1994 Protection of Religious Freedom Act, um, and uh, so on and so forth. Um, so uh, we put those signs just prominently on the milk crates, uh, you know, just to send a message that, no, we're not going to back down. We are going to leave supplies. Uh, it is within our rights and it is in support of human rights to do this. So, of course, we have to be strategic about this. I mean, there is the danger, you know, if we're always going back to the same place. You know, we're kind of, you know, blowing up the spot, as it were. You know, we're yeah. bringing heat to to a route that's that's needed by people making a crossing. And so we are we are mindful of that. You know, we don't we, we try to go to different places on different weekends uh, and not try to bring too much um, attention uh, to these paths. Yeah, that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And um, I wonder, like, if people are, I was just thinking for people to visualize the area, is there a place they could look up on, like, Google Earth so they could see, like, where this kind of stuff is happening? Are you comfortable? You don't have to give, like, an a exact location, obviously, but... Yeah, actually, I mean, speaking of you know, Google Earth, you, you mentioned uh, Valley of the Moon. I mean, uh, Google yeah. Earth is impressive yeah. enough. Anybody can just use Google Earth and zoom in all the way and just follow along the border and you'll find thousands of footpaths. Um, so, yeah, it, it doesn't take um, yeah, uh, like a, uh, much detective work to actually visually see these footpaths. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, it's real steep terrain, as Emmett mentioned. The last couple times we've gone back to this spot where the two agents destroyed uh, the supplies. Uh, Emmett has actually brought a mountain climbing rope just to make certain sections easier where we're kind of rappelling down this dry waterfall. So really, really steep, uh, very loose uh, trails, um, very easy uh, to break an ankle. Um, and it just uh, in that context, it really it really hits you. Uh, we, we see so many um, uh, shoes and boots along the path and just have to kind of just pause and think, well, if this person lost their shoe, if the if their the sole of their boot melted off and they're hours away uh, from the nearest road, what does it mean? Uh, how did they complete the journey? Did they complete their journey? Um, so yeah, a little bit hard to describe, but I guess any, yeah, anybody who's, I guess, kind of familiar with, with Southern California, steep, steep mountains loose uh terrain kind of get the picture yeah yeah um yeah they can look up valley of the moon there's plenty of pictures of the uh very intimidating border fence that they have there it's like three foot high and rusty
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Is there anything else that you guys wanted to address that you feel like maybe people don't, uh, that people should know about the board that they don't, about the work you do that, that maybe is misunderstood? Yeah, I guess I want to maybe bring up some of what it I think is is hard to convey to people who aren't there and kind of aren't um, connected to a community who is suffering uh, because of this or who aren't maybe thinking along the lines of um, what it means to be a human in this space and actually be risking your life uh, and coming up against helicopters and uh, a federally backed militia who is um, actively seeking to harm you. Um, none of us in our group are claiming any um, anything more than just witnessing um, what it means to be out there. But I guess what's been true for me and and in kind of my conversations with my community as over the last couple of years, just trying to share this, there is. There is so much pain that is being inflicted upon this landscape 
And there is so much harm that is actively supported by our nation. While people are in some of the most intimate and painful moments of their lives, uh, leaving your home, whether it be in uh, another continent where you need to take a, a, plight, a flight over to make this crossing, or whether it be hiking through Central America, starting in South America for months before reaching this moment, or leaving your your, your family and your in your community closer to the to the to the border. This, these are moments that anyone who is alive <laughs> could feel the, the pain of and the misery of having to abandon all that you know um, and put yourself at the mercy of of the desert and CBP's overly uh, aggressive and and and, and harmful tactics. Um, so beyond all of the cases and the politics, I just. I, I oftentimes, as we're walking, just try to put myself in the position of someone who is who is making these decisions. And as Dave was saying, we're coming across people's clothing, food, underwear, places they've slept, and the amount of um, the, the poignancy of, of, of human desire to be safe, to to come to a place where they feel like their lives can be um, protected or that that choice is worthwhile is something that is so lost in the numbers and the amount of people who die or what happens after it. And so for us, I think making it not about your political beliefs or the asylum process, but just the actual uh, choices um, people are, are, are half having to make very human decisions. Um, that is something that is kind of haunts us. Um, and the feeling that uh, all we can do is is leave water in a place that it might make the difference between someone in that position uh, surviving or not. Um, and, and and furthermore, just living in a community where, you know, from the top of the mountain, we can see downtown San Diego and all of the luxury of this military town, um, all of the universities and all of this opportunity that we 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 enjoy and just couple miles away, the lack of access to just water, feeling how similar humans are to each other and our basic needs um, and how that's being taken from people um, is, is, is really is really harmful. And particularly, as you were saying, um, these are areas held sacred by the Kumeyaay people and have been have been places of migration for at least 10,000 years. These are places that were difficult to travel and that people did for similar reasons, to survive, to be safe. And there is a legacy of oyas, of, of, of clay pots buried in the sand for travelers um, that has been ongoing for thousands of years and for our current administration and government to create this wall in this place of so much pain is just testament to just the insanity of our desire to protect border against something else, to protect the borders against something that, that we feel is harmful to us. Meanwhile, this migration is fundamentally how we survive and how we respond to these moments of change in, in humanity. And and cr criminalizing that and causing hardship of that is, is just barbaric. I'll let you collect your thoughts and you can come back and make that statement because I think you do it very eloquently. But I want to jump on there and just kind of... Um, echo and elaborate on what you said. Yeah, we find lots and lots of 
um, physical items, but we also meet people on the trails. And that's a new thing. You know, I've been doing these water drops for, for some time now. Um, but you know, when you say what has changed under Biden, uh, not much. <laughs> There's more people crossing the border than ever. There are more people dying than ever. As far as as a volunteer who spends most weekends uh, out in the borderlands, the only thing I notice is they stopped building Trump's 30-foot-high fence, and they started pouring all that money into electronic surveillance, where every single month we see more towers popping up all along uh, the border with all kinds of uh, very, very fancy military-grade uh, surveillance equipment, um, and as well as aerial surveillance, lots of airplanes, helicopters. Um, I'm not sure if they're using drones, but we certainly, there's a lot of uh, aerial surveillance. But what we see as far as the, the human dimension is in the old days, you know, we see footprints, we see shoe covers, you know, which people wear on their feet to hide their footprints from Border Patrol. We see the empty uh, water bottles uh, and discarded clothing. But now we're encountering people pretty much every time we do a water drop uh, because the number of people crossing is so high. People are crossing in the daytime, whereas in the, the past, uh, usually they would cross at night. So wouldn't you say, Emmett, like pretty much it's uh, it's pretty much every time we go out, uh, at least one of our volunteers, if not the whole group, um, uh, sees or even interacts uh, with with a migrant uh, on on the paths, um, and you know, and of course we respect we respect their autonomy, their privacy. We don't engage with them if they don't want to engage with us. But the uh, the thing that I'll never forget um, is uh, about a month ago. We were out in this exact same area supplying the same path, um, and it was a rainy day, cold. We were wearing our Gore-Tex um, insulated uh, clothing. We'd done a water drop. While we were doing the water drop, we can see on the next mountain peak, a Border Patrol helicopter landing uh, to pick up somebody who required rescue. And this is a case that we had been getting updates all night with Armadillos, uh, one of the search groups. Uh, and thankfully this, this uh, person was found alive and uh, Border Patrol was uh, so-called rescuing him, uh, another word for arresting him. And uh, after we witnessed that, uh, we uh, hiked back to our vehicles. And just as we were um, getting to the trailhead, the exact same location where on March 18th, uh, Emmett and other volunteers had this interaction with the two Border Patrol agents who destroyed the humanitarian aid supplies, the exact same parking spot. Uh, we, we pop out and start walking toward our vehicles and it starts snowing and two individuals uh, come out of the mist and uh, uh, you know approach us and start talking to us in Spanish. Um, and talking to these two people, these two men, uh, one one young, one middle aged, in the course of the conversation, you know. <laughs> sorry, I kind of choke up when I, I talk about this stuff. Yeah, it's okay. But uh, yeah, so this is uh, um, the younger of the two was sixteen years old, and uh, the older dude was his father. We encountered them 
as it was snowing. So of course, first thing we did is uh, got them in our vehicles. Uh, one of our volunteers, avid hiker, had his backpacking stove with him and uh, cooked up some tea and some, um, you know, gave them food and, and you know, let them warm up. We gave them literally the, you know, Gore-Tex uh, winter coats off our backs to warm up. And once the, you know, uh, the dad was shivering violently, really, really showing signs of uh, clinical hypothermia. And talking to the the uh, the younger man who was in better physical shape, he was explaining that the two of them were hiking through the mountains because um, his mother uh, was already living in the USA. They were trying to reunite with her, and they had been in this uh, mountainous uh, region for the past two days. Jesus. And looking at them, uh, they're wearing uh, hoodies, you know, like. Uh, you know, sweatshirts, sweatpants, and sneakers in this. And anybody who lives down here in Southern California, you know, we've had a very unusual winter, lots and lots of rain. Um, so it had been raining uh, heavily over the past two days uh, uh, and nighttime temperatures in the 30s. And these two men had been out there for two days, soaked to the bone. And uh, that's why they approached us because they were in trouble and they were asking for help. Um, so after they warmed up, um, we discussed the options. Of course, you know, we, we, we respect their autonomy. Um, you know, they have the option to try to continue going uh, on their way with, with supplies, or if uh, they felt it was unsafe to do so, we were ready uh, to help them. The heartbreaking thing is, you know, they did ask us, could we uh, let them ride in our vehicles off the mountain? And we had to explain that, you know, we were we were pretty much guaranteed to encounter Border Patrol agents on that road. And that really it's not something that that we could do because you know that 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 you know we we could be arrested and charged uh you know for federal felony crimes but we said look you know if you really feel you can't continue we will help you contact you know call 911 but we explained that's that's 100% going to result in border patrol coming uh, because as folks may know you know um you know in the USA along the border um you know, emergency medical response, search and rescue is is unfortunately considered in the domain of law enforcement. Yeah. Uh, so if you are a U.S. citizen or if you are someone from another country that happened to come here and have a visa or just be considered the good type of foreigner, yeah. you know, you're going to have a very impressive response with sheriffs, uh, sheriff's department, search and rescue, volunteer organizations. If there's any hint that you may be a so-called undocumented uh, person, it immediately gets sent to Border Patrol and you have, you know, Borstar uh, respond, the you know, Border Patrol search and rescue group, which is a, a far cry uh, from the, uh, the civilian uh, search and rescue folks. So we explained to them, if we call 911, uh, you're, you're, you're going to be apprehended, you're going to be arrested by Border Patrol. And after thinking about it and discussing, they said, yeah, we, you know, we cannot continue. We, we're, we're, you know, this is uh, too dangerous. So we did call 911 and Border Patrol did come and um, frisked them and uh, cuffed them and uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. Did arrest them. And, uh, yeah, that's not, not the only time, uh, that, uh, too often we have witnessed, um, human beings being arrested by border patrol. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. I think, I think it's really important to give like, uh, put like faces and names to these things rather than the border patrol will constantly talk about the million whatever encounters, right? They like to fucking inflate the numbers because it's often the same people, but um, it's each one of those is a tragedy, right? Every time someone has to make a choice between risking their life in one place or, or risking their life coming to another place just so their kids can have a crack at growing up safely or, or so they can be safe or so they can experience like one-tenth of the things that we take for granted every day. Like that's an incredible human tragedy. And, and yeah, they happen every single day, every hour of every day at our border because of the things that our government does there. And uh, yeah, it's important to feel that stuff because I think that's it, it should provoke in all of us a very strong reaction. It's pretty messed up that there's almost universal bipartisan agreement that it's fine and okay by people who have never been here and don't understand. The one other thing I want to add, and Emmett, you may have other things. Uh, one thing I wanted to to really uh, center is something we've referenced several times, um, Kumye. You know, this is, this is Kumye land. These are the indigenous people uh, who have lived here since the beginning of time. Um, the archaeological record goes back 10,000 years, but we know people have been here since the, the beginning of, of human uh, time, really. And um, look at the map, um, this so-called border cuts in half uh, uh, traditional uh, Kumye territory. Uh, when we do these uh, water drops out in the desert or in the mountains, you know, these these paths that that people are using to migrate are often, uh, or in many, many cases, uh, traditional uh, Kumeyaay paths. Mm -hmm. And uh, we see evidence of that every time uh, we, you know, do a water drop, uh, especially out, out uh, in, in the desert areas where it's a rare water drop that we will not find uh, pottery shards uh, lying, lying in the sand uh, or come across uh, rock shelters uh, some with pictographs um, and uh, the, you know, it's just, uh, you know, very poignant juxtaposition of, of Kumeyaay cultural artifacts with modern day, you know, uh, shoe covers, discarded water bottles. And of course, many people who do migrate uh, are indigenous uh, them, themselves. Um, so, yeah, personally, you know, I view all of these border issues uh, through the lens of history, culture, uh, with with uh, the core uh, truth that this is indigenous land, this is Kumeyaay land, and it had, has always been, and uh, the modern so-called border is a very recent uh, uh a political um, creation, you know, that, you know, mid 19th century, you know, before that, this was Mexico. <laughs> and yeah. now, now where we, we call it the, the USA, but this is all recent. And from my perspective, unless you are a Kumye, I really don't know how anybody could, can really get on their high horse and really speak with uh, any authority about who belongs here, who belongs here, who doesn't belong. 
along here because the rest of us, we are all guests on Kumeyaay land. And that includes every single border patrol uh, agent. And that's that's something I always like to remember. Yeah, yeah. The border is very much like colonialism in action. And it's even, we're going to have some uh, Kumeyaay folks hopefully in the next couple of weeks to talk about the desecration of Kumeyaay burial sites by the border wall, which is an ongoing thing. Like it hasn't stopped when the just, I can't tell stories about it like I could in 2020 because, you know, Orange Man Bad isn't a thing anymore. But yeah, like all across the border, right? Not just here, like the Yaki, the Tohonod, um, all all across the border is native land, the whole of the so-called United States is native land. And uh, it, it's not indigenous folks out there trying to kill people in the desert. Is there anything, Emmett, that you wanted to add? Yeah, um, just want to say this well. Uh, I know we'll, we'll, we're going to ramble forever, so we'll stop, stop rambling in a second. But um, I guess I really want to say, and this is coming from a very skewed white male's perspective, but I just feel like so much of these power structures that we're engaged with and, and us as a nation trying to uh, find our identity, it's so hypocritical, um, particularly in this moment uh, where uh, climate and social instability is at its, at its, its height. I mean, in, in my lifetime, and I think in many of our lifetimes, we see this as a really precarious moment. Yeah. It, it just feels so, so hypocritical to police people's sovereignties to find safety and to be in safety. Um, you know, we we have all of these ideals um, in our country around respecting each other's freedoms. Um, and also as we are importing and exporting so many goods and also so much culture and so fundamentally intertwined with um, the lives of, of people from all over the world, for us to say, what is wrong and what is right in this moment, and for us to have this this moral authority to to put people in 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 prison just for 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 seeking safety for many years, and of course I have many people I know and live with who have been in in who went were in detention for for several years um, for seeking that the the amount of um, just how twisted it is that we are comfortable spending our lives as Americans never considering um, or never really critically engaging um, with this active uh, pursuit, <laughs> this act, these actions to, to, to limit people's abilities to survive. Um, it feels like uh, it, it really needs to be centered in this conversation. And again, this is coming from my skewed perspective, but I just, um, I really wanna make the, the point clear, this is not about, um, this is not about these these lofty ideals um, of what a country could be or who and who is not justified or useful in our country. Um, we make these arbitrary assessments um, of what's justified or what's legal and not legal. And very often those are just continuing the legacy of exploitation of black and brown people, the exploitation of landscapes, the exploitation of labor, the exploitation of people whose voices are not uh, heard and politically, economically, um, and continuing a conversation of in Otay Mason Center, um, the people who are detained are, are are cleaning their own cells, and their 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 labor is actually being exploited as well. You can't distinguish the fact that there is the, the history of policing in our country and the history of prisons is specifically a project to continue white supremacy um, and. 
And you, you can see particularly the uh, differential policing of immigration uh, currently and the differential um, uh, way that certain people from certain countries are or are not valid uh, to uh, to enter this country and and at the very least be treated with respect and dignity in their process. And that's what we see CBP uh, every single day violating people's basic access to human dignity and access to life, which are protected by all nations in, in writing and very often not in practice. Yeah, yeah. I think it's well said. Like, it's a very basic human thing. It doesn't need to be, like, shrouded in constitutional law. And like you also said, like, capital flows very freely across across the border. Um, but people aren't allowed to. And, and yeah, it's pretty messed up. And guys, where can people, if they want to support, if they want to just send a kind word, where can people find you uh, on the internet? Well, the best way probably is on Instagram. Uh, we have an account, Borderlands Relief Collective. Mm-hmm. Uh, reach out to us. And I do want to give a shout out to our our, our sister organizations, uh, Border Kindness, their water drop program uh, led by Jacqueline and James has been doing yeah. tremendous work for years. Uh, Border Angels, which is kind of the parent organization of water drop uh, volunteer groups in California. Um, our, our comrades uh, who do search and rescue, as well as recovery of those who have have died, including Armadillos uh, and Aguilas, uh, Eagles of the Desert. Um, very, very proud to be in this community of, of people who are trying to help people in the borderlands. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, guys. That was really great. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. 
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.